One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Friday. It's Friday. Best work day of the week. Hey, everybody. Friday. <laughs> Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you on a Friday, the last Friday before the NFL draft. And plenty of, uh, plenty of things for us to get to, not only league-wide, but here at One Bills Drive today. Players in the off-season conditioning program have Fridays off, but Tyler Bass was on site today, Steve, to sign his four-year contract extension. The third-year kicker locked up for the foreseeable future. Good for and him. And you want to talk about making the most of an opportunity, a sixth-round draft pick in 2020. Got his big money second contract, you know, Generational wealth, Steve. Yeah, I don't know what the terms are, but very nice. Yeah. Good for him. And uh, he's, he's deserved it. I mean, I um, you don't really worry about Tyler Bass at all. And plus, he's doing it in Buffalo, which and there's been a couple of times. And, and he's not perfect on his extra points. And you think back to the ones he's missed. It's been in like 40-mile-an-hour 40, 40 wins, snowing sideways. Or 61-yard attempts. Or 61-yard attempts. It, it's unbelievable how good he's been. Uh, in the conditions he's been asked to perform in. Um, and, you know, for a kicker, there's so much you cannot control from the snap to the hold to the weather. And you're expected to perform at a high level, and he has done so. So I, I, I'm, I think you're hard-pressed. You would be hard-pressed to find a Bills fan who's not on board with Tyler Bass and an, an extension. Kickoff – or, sorry, kicking percentage – his rookie year, he was 82.4%. Each of the last two seasons, over 87%. And that was with only a few fewer attempts than he had in 2020. 34 attempts in 2020, 32 and 31 over the last two seasons. But 87.5% success rate in 2021, 87.1% success rate in 2022. And you look at his attempts from 50 yards plus career, he is 8 for 13. I mean, he's almost 75% from 50 yards plus, kicking half of his games right. in Buffalo. Right. It's, it's, That's it's pretty damn good. Yeah, it's very good. Very good. And they've had some, some of the most horrific weather we've seen in Buffalo. Um, it would have been worse had they not been able to move a couple of those games to Detroit. Uh, one of them, anyway. Kicking in six feet of snow. Is that right. what you're talking about? Uh, <laughs> and, the, and, you know, the playoff game, the regular season Monday night game here against New England where there's 40 mile an hour wins. You've got the, the snow games. It's just unbelievable. It's one thing after another. Um, he really has been thrown at it and done extremely well. Um, very well. Uh, it, he brought this up on his Zoom conference call with the media earlier today. And I think it's. It's a noteworthy point to make. Entering his fourth NFL season, this is the first time that he is entering a season with the same holder that he had the previous season in Sam Martin, who signed a one-year deal last August with the Bills and then re-signed this offseason. So they had to get up to speed quickly just before the regular season last year. And now he's got that same guy back this season you say ah what's the big deal it doesn't look like it's impacted his kicking success rate at all it's just peace of mind for a kicker and peace of mind for a kicker is gold yeah 
Yeah. Gold. Yeah, they don't. They can take. They can finally take a step forward, maybe from where they were a year ago, yeah. rather than going back and taking the same steps over. Yeah, he again said there's zero the learning curve now. Yeah, so it's um, it'll be interesting to t- see. Uh, we've got, a, a f- I guess, a few clips maybe from his uh, live Zoom that was earlier today, but you know, I'd be interested in knowing if he kicks or how much he does kick in the off season. A lot of guys just train. Yeah, he didn't really address that. Yeah, I mean, he, he does practice. I, I I would like to think that training in this day and age at the professional level for kickers is such that they know their body, whether they have a personal trainer or they work with the strength and conditioning staff here, they know how much they should kick in the off season to stay sharp, but not over um, tax their leg. If you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You got to train your whole body. They don't just train their kicking leg. I mean, they're, you know, they're lift. He's lifting. He's, doing everything he's training just like a regular athlete does i say regular athlete he's training like an athlete who runs and jumps for a living rather than just swings one leg for a living and then the you know uh, exponentially your legs gets stays strong and stays sharp like that you don't want to get out of balance i don't think as an athlete uh because there's so much that can happen in the midst of a game i mean you have to break you might have to break out and chase somebody make a tackle once in a while on kickoff so they train like an athlete. I, I'm just interested to find out, you know, because every guy's – all these guys make their own thing because you're right. They they make their own schedule about training, and they all have different feelings about how much to kick. And there's a difference between kicking from one of those little triangle things that holds the ball for you or having a guy put it down for you and then kicking it. All of that stuff goes into the mix. And there's a lot to think about. You've got no snapper all the time um, only when they come back here for OTAs and stuff do they get a guy who can actually snap and hold for them so uh, it's I- I'm interested in that uh, I'm interested because it's it's got a m- way on their mind right how much they should kick how much they can kick and how, what quality of practice they can get certainly you can kick against air and just sit the ball down with a little holder right that's not the uh, for me that wouldn't be the practice you need although it would be nice training that's not the practice you need. You need practice with like 4,000 sets of eyes standing there staring at you. Well, you just film it. You know, film your how you're kicking it. Yeah. So you can review yeah, it yeah. later. That's the other way to do it. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out was we got some Twitter feedback after the extension was announced where some Bills fans were like, how do you pay Tyler Bass this kind of money? It was reported out there to be a four-year deal worth $21 million. Um, The Bills don't release contract terms as a policy. But they're like, how can the cap-strap Bills do this and blah, blah, blah? I think there is a little bit of a misconception. Contract extensions actually can provide cap relief for an organization because the length of the contract allows you to spread the money out in a creative fashion to alleviate the cap problems you might have in a given year, 2023 for the Bills. And so based on some of the reports I've seen out there, Tyler Bass's cap hit this year is going to be a hair over a million dollars. So that is a drop in the bucket. And I'm going to be interested to see if he's even one of the top 51 salaries. I think he will be, but I don't know that that's a lock. So – uh, it's 
It's a cap-friendly extension for the bills as it pertains to this year's cap. So any concerns that anyone might have out there about how the heck do they do this for the kicker, it believe me, have every confidence in Brandon Bean and his salary cap experts, Jim Oberdorf and Kevin Megank, that they have structured this in a way that benefits the team so that they're in a position to do whatever business they need to do this year to finalize the roster. That's it's just it's simple business 101 that don't worry. They got it covered. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Trust me. Uh, The national NFL news that was dropped like a bombshell about an hour ago deals with more players that are violating the gambling policy. NFL players, coaches, employees, even like us, you cannot gamble on the NFL and any other sport for that matter. It is prohibited. And yet we saw the example over a year ago of Calvin Ridley, who at the time was an Atlanta Falcon, now a Jacksonville Jaguar. He missed all of last season, cost himself $11 million in salary by betting $1,500 on a football game or a basketball game, I think it was. Missed all of last year, and the threat was he was suspended indefinitely. It could have been even been beyond the 2022 season. He was reinstated a couple of months ago, so he will be able to play for the Jaguars here in 2023. Six players were punished for gambling on games. Or I'm sorry, five players were uh, punished by the league for betting on games. Three of those Not players. Not NFL games. They were USFL games. Right. Three of those players, Quintez Cephas and C.J. Moore of the Detroit Lions and Shaka Tony of the Washington Commanders, were suspended indefinitely, similarly to the way Calvin Ridley was suspended when uh, a couple of years ago. And the Detroit Lions wasted no time. Quintez Cephas and C.J. Moore, after the announcement came out, were cut from the team. So they are out of a job after betting on USFL games. Meanwhile... Uh, And those players, just so you know, can file for reinstatement after the 2023 season, no sooner. Meanwhile, there were two other Lions players, Stanley Berryhill and Jamison Williams. They were suspended for the first six games of the regular season. So Jamison Williams, who was a first-round draft choice and did not play during the regular season last year, maybe until the very end. I think he was practicing by the end of the year. I'm trying to remember if he got on the field for the last game or two. Regardless, he is now going to miss the first six games of his second NFL season for betting. Um, yeah, it was. And he and Barry Hill only got suspended for six games. Now, I'm trying to. There is also, the, the Lions reported also that before this announcement came out, they had already severed ties with a, a handful or less than a handful of staff and employees that were also. Uh, part of some sort of, you know, they were gambling on stuff they shouldn't have been gambling on, not NFL games, but, you know, on a gambling app or whatever it was. Uh, They violated the rules as well, and they were – the Lions parted ways with them as well. The best part is they placed these bets while they were hanging out at the Lions facility. Like, holy cow. I mean, first of all, you shouldn't even have an account on any gambling app that's out there if you are an NFL player. I mean, I, 
yeah, I don't. That's number one. I don't gamble. I so I'm, it kind of doesn't affect me. But if all and you've got, I mean, it's a a lengthy that you got to sign, and you know you're very aware of the rules. Wouldn't you like? Well, like, they they even remind also, us every year, right? Wouldn't you go up to somebody and say, "Hey, I got this thing. Could, it, would it be okay? Is this pot?" Of, and somebody's got to say, "No, don't do that." Yeah, right. Wouldn't you like, like run it past somebody you trust anyway? I, I mean, you can't walk around a building in the NFL and not have it slap you. It was back there, even back in the day when we didn't have an NFL team in Vegas. It was right as you walked in the in the building right in the locker room every locker room visiting away home all of it you couldn't get around it and it's not it's no different now well the only difference now is they have a specific policy spelling it all out for you and what the repercussions could be and look idiots people could say hey it's a person's right if they want to gamble their money no it's not it's not you're working for a private company the nfl and one of its 32 member organizations and they have rules for their employees if you, so if you don't like it don't play in the don't nfl play. that's right if it that's it you can say and there's people and of course you know social media is like goes crazy with it like you can't suspend guys for betting on another sport well actually you can because they agreed to do it yeah, under the collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> That's part of the deal when you play for them. You can't do that. And if you're going to do that, this is what's going to happen to you. And yeah. here we are. The thing that does not compute for me is you have athletes, professional athletes, that are making millions of dollars. And you have to know that they sat in meetings with these gambling policies being spelled out for them visual aids, PowerPoint presentation, the whole nine. And that all fell by the wayside, and they placed a bet, and you cost yourself your livelihood to do it. I mean, Calvin Ridley lost $11 million on a $1,500 bet. That guy might be the first person in history to lose that much on a $1,500 bet because he sacrificed his salary. Right. For the 2021 season, or 2022 season. I mean, it's just, it's, I, it defies logic for me, and I just don't know how you could be that absent-minded because it is directly tied to your livelihood. Yeah, And, and it's going to cost Jamison Williams six games of checks. Quentin Cephas and C.J. Moore, you got to think, too. They're out of a job. They're out of a job. And and can't play the same sport again for the next year, at least they, in the NFL. Right. So they've got to – and then they've got to apply for reinstatement. And it's not like those guys, those guys aren't the first pick of the draft. No. I mean, they, it's – If I remember right, Cephas was a late-round pick. They might be – Out of Wisconsin. They might be looking for work while they stay in shape. It's – it's I, I, I don't get it. I just – there's something I realize there are people that make mistakes and there's ill-advised decisions and poor decisions and lack of judgment. Everybody has, you know, ah, I had a brain fart that, you know, this happened like this is like or you thought it was the one league thing hits, and it was another. hits players over the head with this. Like, do not. And I have to believe the Players Association does the same thing to yeah. avoid these kinds of situations because there's no there's no rule bending here. It's very black and white.
Oh, and listen. There's at, no gray area. We're at the, yeah, we're at the point where and the league is extremely sensitive to the responsibility it has to keep their game on the up and up. They've got they've got to do it with yeah, it's integrity. so you can bet that any time there is a somebody that crosses over the line, they're going to hit it with a big hammer to make sure that the public knows that there are no improprieties going on. It has always been the fear of the NFL, even back in the '60s when Alex Karras, Alex Karras got suspended for a year because they bet on a different NFL game. Did Arch Leister do something uh, too? Well, Arch, Ar- yes, uh, that was very different, but. Um, Alex Karras and I, I don't know if it's Paul Horning or some – they bet on another team on, on an, in another con- the other conference or whatever. They bet on the game, and that was it. They were out for a year. Yeah. Um, man, oh, man. You just can't do it. The league is very sensitive to it. You just – it makes – I don't know – yeah, I just – it makes absolutely no sense. I don't know how their thought process got them to the point where they thought it would be okay to do that. It's absolutely idiotic. Yeah. It, and there's like four guys, five guys. So, like, one of them goes, yeah, it's all right. Nothing happened to me. Like, well, yeah, okay. I like that. Whatever. I like that bet. Whatever. What are you doing? The thing, the thing that's even crazier is you already had a guy that was made an example of in Calvin Ridley. Here's here's your here's your poster child as to why you don't do it. And uh, I I mean you got to be living under a rock to know that Calvin Ridley was if you didn't know Calvin Ridley was suspended for the entire 2022 season. But here's I, the I just, thing. Here's here's the they best part, be- Steve. Calvin Ridley and Jamison Williams are from the same university. They're both from Alabama. They probably know each other. Here's the thing, and this is what happened. You. It doesn't matter if, if they were on a game, gaming app and they were betting on cricket. It really doesn't matter. They could, bet, they could have been betting on the America's Cup yachting race, for all I know. <laughs> but the thing is, they, um, the gambling policy prohibits anybody in the NFL, like me and Brownie and everybody else, from engaging in any form of gambling in any club or league facility or venue, including the practice facility. <laughs> So these guys are get betting on whatever, whatever inside the, the you know they're sitting around in the players' lounge at, at Detroit, gambling, and that's where they got blown up. Yeah. So they could have been doing it perfectly out legally if they'd have been at home, cause, you know, betting on ping pong match or something in China. Fine, but yeah. you can't do it in the building, and that's where they that's where they got crushed. Perhaps it's it's mind blowing. It really is. I just don't know how you walk down that path with all of the warnings, the policies, the training that you have to undergo to uh, know that 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 is not something you can do. So it's it's a crazy one for sure. And unfortunately, guys like Quintus Cephas and C.J. Moore are out of a job as a result. It's unfortunate that, you know. They were ignorant of what they could and could not do as NFL players, but there we are. So that's that. Uh, I had not seen this at all, Steve. I completely missed this the other day, but 
The Cowboys picked up the fifth-year option for wide receiver C.D. Lamb. Mm -hmm. They would like to get him signed to a long-term contract extension eventually, and it may happen before that fifth year is exercised next year or comes to fruition next year, but it at least buys them some time. Um, you know, plenty of time to talk this year, and there isn't this urgency like, oh, my God, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. You know, they have the fifth year right. put in place for next year uh, going forward. So that was that was done. They did it, but it was fully expected that they would. The guy's killing it for the Cowboys. He's a really good player. Yep. So you knew they would pick it up, but they chose now to do it. There is general consensus out there among those national reporters that are, you know, talking to GMs, personnel executives, that Notre Dame's Michael Mayer is more likely to be the first tight end off the board in the draft than Utah's Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid is the true field stretcher. Kid can really run. He's coming off a major back injury, but he was medically cleared about a week or so ago. Did some pro I don't know if he did some pro day stuff or not, but he was medically cleared recently. Mayer is more of the traditional Y tight end type. Guy can put his hand on the ground, factors in the blocking game. He's not the athlete in the receiving game that Kincaid is or that Luke Musgrave is, for that matter, from Oregon State. But he does everything well. And because he is a complete all-around tight end, the general consensus among personnel executives is he will come off the board before Dalton Kincaid, which now begs the question, could you see up to three or four tight ends come off the board in round one? Kincaid and Mayer are the two most likely first-rounders to go. Does Luke Musgrave creep up? And that's a guy with an injury history, too. So that's, that might be another reason he slides into round two. Darnell Washington may have the biggest upside of all of them, but he struggled to get playing time because he had an all-world tight end in front of him at Georgia by the name of Brock Bowers, who still has another year before he can come out. So he may get to the second round as well. I think it's probably two tight ends, right? Probably two in the first round. I don't know if we're going to get – I mean, maybe three. Mike, you're going to get two. Two. I think two is a safe bet. And maybe three. You might get the two top guys you just said, Mayer and Kincaid. And I'll bet you Washington. Washington, Washington. with his elite physical traits could, think could go Washington in round one as well. just too big an enticement. His athleticism and his upside – because he was playing on an offense, you know, he's playing behind this guy, you know, the guy Brock Bowers, yeah. Brock Bowers, who's really, really good. And might be a top 10 pick next year. And so there's that. Plus, he was playing on an offense that, you know, was loaded with guys. He's hard, hard, had a hard time getting on the field because of the quality of players ahead of him. But when he got on, he, he did some things. And his measurables are absolutely off the chart. Yeah. You've never seen They're a guy. They're otherworldly. Like, you've never seen a guy like this before. So – that is an enticement that will sneak him into at least the bottom half of the first round. Yep. Then there was this. B. John Robinson, Steve. We all know what a polarizing figure he has been for Bills fans who, you know, do not want the Bill. Well, there is a good contingent of Bills fans that they would do, like to take him they, at 27. They do and they don't. There are others that do not and would prefer to see the Bills address other positional needs. Bijan Robinson revealed in an interview recently that he has made only two pre-draft visits to the Eagles 
and to the Bucks. And I have told you for a while, yeah, B. Know. John Robinson has got pick 10 written all over him to the to Eagles. Philadelphia. I know Howie Roseman has never taken a running back in round one since he's been GM of the Eagles. This guy's an exception. They lost Miles Sanders in free agency. It just makes too much sense for them to take him there because you plug him. And Jalen Hurts, as much as he has impressed as a young quarterback in this league, the fact remains in my mind that he needs a competent running attack that defenses have to respect to make him the most effective quarterback he can be. They currently do not have a featured runner in their arsenal on their roster right now. Bijan Robinson makes way too much sense, not to mention the fact that they have another first-round pick down at 30 to address other positional areas that they may feel they need to address. So I, I think it's because everybody has the book on Bijan. Do you need to bring the best running back in for a pre-draft visit? Like, yeah, I don't know that you need to. The tape speaks for itself. Yeah, he's supposed to be a pretty good character kid. So, only two pre-draft visits may be eye-opening. But it's I like think, I don't know that anybody needs to know anything else about this guy. Yeah, he's clearly think, the number one back. I think you've got a threshold of I mean, everybody knows where you pick. You know, the Bills are at twenty-seven, fifty-nine, ninety-one, uh, one thirty-seven. No, I'm I'm saying that, but. So you get you know that, and if and you're saying okay for the Bills, if he's there at our third pick, we'll take him, yeah, or whatever, our second, whatever you pick that, and if he's there, you'll take him. If he's not, okay. Uh, same thing with other teams. So you don't have to go out and see the guy. Other, m- m- most likely, you're using your 30 visits on guys who listen. He's gonna. I don't know, we want to jump up for this guy or drop back for this guy. Who do we really like in this draft? So you're saving your visits for guys you have more questions about. Yeah. Um, and there you have it. It's 27, 59, 91, 130, 137, and 205. So if the Bills are thinking, okay, if he's there at 130 or 137, we're going to take him. And the only time we take him at 130 is if we don't take him at 130 is if such and such falls to 130 or whatever. Um, they'll have a threshold of those picks, and if he, they may say if Bijan falls to ninety-one, we'll take him. He's not going to. <laughs> no, right? So they'll use their visits, and all these teams have fairly the same philosophy. We'll use our visits on guys who we may be willing to reach on, or that nobody else does, or guys we have questions about. We have com- got to have conversations about. If we draft a guy, what kind of guy is he? And, and it's. You know they'll they'll save him for those guys, and basically for guys they think who might fall to him at number one, not number ninety one. So that's why Bijan Robinson is not going to show up in Buffalo. Right. We want to remind you it is OBL Fan Friday Mailbag. So if you have any questions on the draft, some draft prospects, the Bills. Their situation, the league at large, you let us know at 803-0550, the number to get on board. we got an open line for you there right now. And you could also hit us up with a question on the tweet sheet at One Bills Live. We will step aside here, but your phone calls coming up next. Dennis in Williamsville, Judy in Buffalo, hang tight. We will get to you when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Fan Mailbag Friday. 
And uh, we've got your questions ready to roll. First, on the phones is where we're headed. And leading us off today is Dennis in Williamsville. What do you got for us, Dennis? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys, a couple of things. Um, first, you guys were just uh, talking about some tight ends there. And yep. I know this is going going a little bit deep, um, but there's a kid out of Old Dominion. His name is Zach Kuntz, yep. um, who's looking maybe like a third or fourth round player. But uh, I know everybody's talking about Darnell Washington with all of his elite traits. Um, but athletically, Zach Kuntz is very comparable um, to what he is able to do. The only thing is that, you know, he's at Old Dominion, um, so he's not playing at that elite level. But I think he tested highest athletically in the combine. Um, can jump out of the gym super fast. Uh, really, really athletic guy, great hands. So that will be a guy, you know, if you're not looking to maybe really invest highly in tight end early, but you want a traits kind of guy, you know, third or fourth round, that might be a really interesting look for, for the Bills, you know. Um, <clears throat> and then also just in terms of philosophy of draft, you know, I kind of think that we're at the point where it, it almost, you know, we're going to be able to beat bad teams with the defense that we have, and we're going to have to beat good teams with a superior offense. And I, I think, like, you know, we've, we've been exposed in the playoffs because we've had – a very good defense, but it's really hard to stop Patrick Mahomes. You have to outscore him. You have to outscore Joe Burrow. You know, you can beat subpar quarterbacks with good defenses throughout the, the year, but if we're going to make that next step, I mean, we have to start putting some investment in the first and second round into our offense to help Josh out. And um, so that's where I think the difference is, you know, if we're drafting to win a Super Bowl, we have to put elite pieces around Josh right now. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, thanks, Dennis. Appreciate yeah, Dennis, the call. Yeah, you're right. Good players make you better, no question. Elite players make you better, no question about it. I, I get it. I think the Bills want to get into a spot where they have the ability to take the best player on the board, whether he's offense or defense. I don't think it has anything to do with the position the guy plays because a great player is going to help you wherever that position can help you. If it's linebacker, if it's safety, if it's corner – defensive tackle, edge rusher, that guy's going to help you when it's his turn to help you, and it's, he's going to help you win games. Your team's going to get that much better. Certainly an elite quarterback helps you in a variety more ways than other teams, and certainly a wide receiver can help a quarterback play better and all that. I, I will say it again, and I'll keep saying it. There ain't no magic elixir that's going to put the Bills over the hump. There is no hump. There is no getting them to the next level. They're on the level where they need to be. They've got to play well on the day when they play the Chiefs and they play the Cincinnati Bengals, when they play the Chargers, when they play whatever other team you want to throw into that mix. They've just got to play well on that day. They are good enough. They have been good enough for three years to beat any of those teams on any day, in any weather, in any stadium. But they got to play well that day. There ain't no figuring the bills out. They ain't like they come in there. They oh yeah, the Cincinnati Bengals figured the Bills out this last January. No, the Bills played bad on that game day. It wasn't that they got figured out? They didn't have Daquan Jones. They didn't have Vaughn Miller. They didn't have Micah Hyde. They didn't have you know players they needed to have to win. They weren't the same team. They weren't the same team on the field with the players and the roster, and they certainly weren't the same team mentally because of what happened on January 2nd in Cincinnati on Monday night. Ain't no, there's nothing in this draft, no player, that is going to make the Bills 
a contender more so than the guys they got on the roster right now. Certainly there's good players available. There ain't no guarantee any of them can even make the team. They're good enough now, and Brandon Bean said it as well. We can win games with the guys we got on the roster now. Certainly if you can get some guys that can help, we'll take them. We'll take them. But the Bills are going to be good again this year. They're going to they're gonna plow through this, this season. I'm not saying they're going to go 13-3 and three and then and win, lose three games by a total of eight points by some fluke and some absolute horrendous bad luck. They're not going to – maybe not that, but they're going to be good, really good. So I get that there is no – yeah, we don't have to draft an elite weapon to put this team over the top. Absolutely not. They don't have to draft – they don't have to draft a single soul. And all these other teams in the AFC East are still going to be chasing them. But if they can get a good player that will help them, yeah, okay, get him. I don't care what he plays. I really don't. I would like to have another weapon for the offense, selfishly. I'd feel well, they, dra- they got feel two better. in free agency. <clears throat> yeah, I know. And I they just got, think you, know, you need – And they got Gabe Davis, who, di- who played better two years ago than he did last year yeah. when he's dragging around a, a high ankle sprain. Same thing with Spencer Brown. I mean – I get it. These teams are chasing us. They're and a they contender already. Us. They um, are a contender, and they're going to continue to be. And and but the Dolphins stuff- and the Jets have closed the gap in the division. That's a fact. And the Bengals and – the Chiefs, on paper, and to a certain degree in their right achievement, Everything's on have paper. exceeded them in terms of the, Bills the have weapons they Kansas have for City. their quarterbacks. The Bills have walked into Kansas City twice in the regular season this year and handed the Chiefs their right. head. Now, you can say what you want about the playoffs. I, I'll say it again. they got to play better on that day. Right. That's it. They're good enough to beat them. Yeah. As for the prospect you mentioned, Zach Koontz from Old Dominion, Penn State transfer, Really tall kid. I mean, he's six seven and a half, two hundred and fifty five pounds, and he does run well. You're absolutely right. He runs a four 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 five five, second fastest forty time at the tight end position at the combine. There was a kid from Miami, Will Mallory, I think it was, that ran a little bit faster than him by like a tenth of a second or a hundredth of a second. Uh, anyway, he's viewed largely as a developmental prospect. The reason why is I think if you picture Mike Gesicki. This guy has a similar frame, really spindly through the legs, offers you nothing in the blocking department, and even with his route running, he is very, very raw. I would be surprised if he goes in the third round. I think he's more of a fourth or fifth round prospect. Day three, developmental. I don't think he helps you much this year, which for a go-for-it team like the Bills, if you can find somebody that can help you sooner rather than later, you would prefer to take that. Um and his production, he's had injuries, dislocated kneecap, um, also had an ACL injury uh, in his career. So there, there's some stuff there that I think teams have to sort out. Obviously, by now, they probably have that sorted out on him. But I, I think he's a day three developmental prospect um, at the yeah. end of the day. He struggled to get on the field at Penn State. He got on the field finally at Old Dominion, had 73 catches for 690 yards, um, you know, five touchdowns. Um, so he got on the field as a senior at Old Dominion and made some hay and showed what he could do because he, he was struggling to get on the field at Penn State, yeah. even with his elite measurables. And you're right, um, you know, Dave Dennis, he – He's intriguing because of his measurables. The Bills aren't taking him in one, the first, second, or third round. He may go at 
137, right? Right. Or more. And I and usual, usually the Bills don't like one-dimensional players at the tight end position. They usually – and look at the Dolphins with Mike Gesicki. He was a second-round pick because he did have production at Penn State, and he did play well and had a bigger body of work. And what happened? He's a one-dimensional player. He's a detached tight end. He cannot line up and put his hand on the ground and help you in the blocking game at all. They franchised him last year, didn't even use him. He's a big, slow, wide receiver. Well, he runs actually relatively well. But he's, he's, not even, he's not a tight end. He's a tight receiver. That's what he is. Right. He's a hybrid. And because of that, his skill set only offers you half of what you want from a tight end position, even at this day and age. So that, that's the issue for Mike Gesicki. I think it's a similar issue for Zach Koontz. He's a one-dimensional tight end and a developmental prospect in that area. So that's why he's going to go late. Let's go to Judy in Buffalo next. What do you got for us, Judy? Judy, are you there? I'm going to put Judy back on hold. Maybe she's away from her phone right now. And we'll go to Kevin in Hamburg next. What do you got for us, Kevin? We having trouble with the phones? I'm not hearing anybody. I am, too. I'm not, I'm not hearing them either. Okay. All right. We'll put Kevin on hold. Oh, there you go. And we'll let them sort that out, and then we'll get back to the phones in just a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, the tight end class is deep. Steve, and so when you have a one-dimensional player who's considered a developmental prospect, they're going to be far down the board because there are other players with a more well-rounded skill set, better athletic skill set, better body build from a physical standpoint, and offer more. And as a result, you're going to slide down the board. Maybe in a thinner year, maybe Zach Kuntz is a bigger consideration. But this year, I don't think he is. And that's why he's going to be waiting uh, to hear his name called. So that's that's the situation with that. Um, and I still think it's safe to say two tight ends going round one. Maybe there's three. Yeah, and, maybe. And I know. And I know. Dennis was talking about, hey, here's a guy with athletic measurable numbers that are similar to Darnell Washington. He cannot do all the things Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington is a is a beast in the run buffer. Get a Harry starter set with a five blade. So I don't, yeah, I mean, for me, uh, we got to take a break here as we handle some of those technical difficulties on the phones. So we'll step aside here, be back with more of your phone calls, hopefully when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, apologies, everybody. I think we've got our technical issues sorted out. While we understand the callers were heard by our listening audience, we could hear nothing of the sort due to some kind of disconnection, but I think we've remedied that. So we're going to, with cautious optimism, go back to the phones, and we'll go to Judy in Buffalo, who was first in line at the time. And let me see if I can pull her up here. Judy, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Uh, I agree with you. We don't want players getting involved in betting on outcomes. But isn't there a certain hypocrisy involved here? Aren't the professional leagues actually um, promoting gambling by accepting advertising money? And nothing nothing is said about that. You know, I, it, it's a two-edged sword here. 
Absolutely. That's what they feared for a long time, Judy. They didn't they didn't the league distanced themselves so far and so um, I don't know, enthusiastically from gambling uh, for decades. Integrity of the game. Right, integrity of the game, because they were so worried about there being any improprieties. Where, you know, and then finally the gaming community and law enforcement as well convinced them that there's no way anybody's betting on these games, particularly electronically, that we don't know who they are. Well, yeah, and, and let's not forget, too, all of this state legislation that's passed in the recent right. – like the last two or three years where states are approving gambling. Now there's a whole right. gambling. So now that business. It's, it's more than just the NFL staying out of Nevada where Las Vegas is now, they're going to stay out of New Jersey. Are they going to stay out of, you know, Tennessee? They're going to stay out of all these New York state, all these, these states that have gaming in them. Now they can't escape it. So now they're trying to foster a relationship that is, you know, full of fail safes that will keep anything from happening. That is, you know, unseemly. Uh, and that starts with the players not being allowed to participate. Right. Because even a player gambling on a game that's not even theirs, it just l- optically, it suggests or could suggest that they have inside information because they got a buddy of theirs that they played in college with on one of those teams, and he tells them maybe some right unknown information and now there is the impropriety that Steve was talking about, and they want to avoid that at all costs, so that's why they do it. But they're more than happy to, uh, you know, do sponsorships and whatever else. Yeah, if they're gonna, if they're, yeah, if they're gonna be forced to live alongside sports gaming, you know, they're gonna make cash off of it, right? So, um, it is a double-edged sword. It is you a double-edged right, sword, Judy. You are exactly right, Judy, and it's and it's one that the league is really making sure they stay away from the edge um, of that sword. <laughs> they're right. staying on one side of the sword. As um, best they can. As best they can. And they're, they're making – I think they make it a, a little bit of a big deal when they nip guys and suspend guys for doing even the smallest um, gambling. So that, there you have it. I, you're right, well, Judy. It's, yeah. it's a, uh, they knew they were going to do it. They knew it was going to be – there are going to be moments and days like this, uh, but you know, to be very honest, they couldn't avoid it much longer. Yeah, Kevin in Hamburg. Let's go back to you, Kevin. What do you got for us? Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Good. You We're bet. doing all right. Oh, I'm doing good. I'm not, I want to bring up about linemen, offensive linemen. I know the Bills. People are talking about the Bills need a lineman. Um, I was looking up old legendary linemen that were not drafted number one or even number two. And I'm going to share something with you if you don't home by for a couple of seconds. Russ Grimm, the famous hog, was drafted in the third round. And I know he's hard to find Russ Grimm, but he was one of the greatest of all. And Jackie Slater, the old Ram Jackie that played like for eternity, he was not a first or second. And, and Jumbo Elliott was a second. So I think you can get some good linemen, even though those guys are legendary, iconic people. It's hard to find them. I just don't want to see the Bills go first or second unless he's like Anthony Munoz. If he, if he was like an Anthony Munoz, I guess you could jump at it if I was going to be as good as Anthony was. But I'd like to see him go for not a lineman unless it's one of those Anthony-type exceptions in the first round. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I get you. And believe me, they won't pick the guy unless he looks like that. 
You know, there's right. uh, you can't tell the future, and these are all projections, but they're not going to take a guy who doesn't fit the value of that pick. Now, certainly you can have your philosophy and say, hey, take the best offensive lineman available. I, I get that. Um, I think it's more complicated than you're making it out to be. Certainly you get a guy like Russ Grimm and Anth- and Jackie Slater. Yeah, you it, – it's a little bit of right, but as, it's as, a little bit of luck in that. As he pointed out himself, Anthony Munoz was a first round pick. He was the first so, pick of the draft. So was Walter Jones. Walter Jones, the Hall of Fame tackle, played for Seattle for years out of Florida State. First round pick. Like right. <clears throat> then you got Jason Peters, undrafted. Yeah, who's a so Hall of Fame So there's always going to be guys throughout the draft. I mean, the draft has been around so long. You could find a lineman in every round that had a borderline or a Hall of Fame career. There are always going to be people That's littered correct. through different places for different reasons. You know, people just missed on them. A player fell through the cracks. A player didn't have a real position in college, and they didn't figure out where to line him up until he got to the pros. That was Jason Peters. Right. He got drafted as a tight end or undrafted yeah. tight end. I, I Yeah, it comes down, and we out here, I say out here because we're outside the draft room and outside the scouting bubble of all these teams. You, know, you take you kind of throw darts at you, what you think should happen, and you you marry your particular philosophy about drafting, whether it's drafting big guys, or drafting skill players, or building around the star players that you have, or just filling the needs that you have on your roster. We all have our own little philosophy, and it vacillates as the draft season rolls along. But the simple fact is. They get to a point in the draft, and the, the best philosophy I've seen is one where you take whatever player you think of the entire pool of players that are left, what player on that board is going to have the best career as a pro? Is it a defensive tackle or is it a slot receiver? All the way through that spectrum. Who is it? And that's the guy you take. No matter what position he plays. No matter what position he plays, if he's going to be the best guy, if he's the guy out of all the guys left on the board who's going to have a 15-year career and potentially be in the Hall of Fame, that's the guy you want, whether it's a kicker, punter, or anybody else. Sebastian Janikowski went in the first round. So did Ray Guy. Played for a long time. He's in the Hall of Fame. And Well, Janikowski isn't, but – I, I got to look at his career. He had a long career. I mean, he did pretty well. He um, was a monster. Yeah. The Polish missile. Um, let's squeeze in one more call here before the break. We go to Tom and Cheek to Waganex. What do you got for us, Tom? Hey, gents. How's it going today? Good. Um, well, I'm just glad to give an opportunity to uh, express my opinion about the Bills. I'm a lifelong fan. Um, I, I agree with you guys that, you know, the Bills – a rookie wouldn't probably make that great an impact on their team, and I think that possibly the players that they need are, could possibly be on the roster already just need a, a, a greater, a more close look, sort of, such as like uh, Quentin Morris. I think if he had better utilization, you know, coming out of college, he had four, five, six in, in the 40, 34-inch vert. And also, what about Des Patman, 6'4", 225, 4'4", speed, 38-inch vert. Um, also, um, I think would the Bills think of a possibility of, you know, bringing in a rookie quarterback such as like a, a priority undrafted free agent like that kid out of BYU, that Jalen Hall. And also, by the way, I was all over Damian Harris before the Bills picked him up. I thought that that, was, that would be a great addition to their lineup. Um, 
I'm a hang-up guys, and I'll let you guys speak on what I said. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, they've done the rookie quarterback thing before. Uh, they brought the kid in from Georgia. Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. He from, was a fifth-round pick. But um, yeah. You know, all of that. We have even getting a draft pick for him. Jalen Hall, yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, Jack, Jaron Hall is actually Jer- his name. I'm sorry, Jaron. Jaron is his real name. Yeah. Um, he and said Quint- And I'm, I agree with you. I love what I've seen from Quentin Morris. We've seen very limited spots for him, but it seems like – and maybe this is an indictment on the rest of the guys, he doesn't drop the ball. <laughs> you know, we've seen that. I, I'll say it again. Too many drops last year, too many turnovers. Those two stats are the ones that did it. And Quentin Morris was not a culprit in any of that. I thought he caught the ball extremely well. You go back to the catch against Miami. That was a difficult catch. It was an unbelievable catch. And he seems to do that a lot. Um, he catches the ball. Now, he's a little undersized for a prototypical tight end. But, man, the guy pulls it in, and he does it consistently. Um, I like, and he does have good speed. He's a good athlete, all of that. So I'm, I'm with you. Um, Quentin Morris is a guy I think that they could exploit more. So, um, but for the rest, and you're right, um, the, the running back from New England they got is he's going to help. Um, I, so I'm I, that's a good call, Tom. I'm, I'm I agree with about everything you said. Right, Jaron Hall, uh, short, six foot, two oh seven. He's also twenty five years old because he did the he served two years on a mission, as most of the BYU kids do. Um, doesn't have great arm strength to throw deep balls, so there are limitations to his game, and he has a long history of injuries. So he's probably a day three guy at best, as you said, maybe even a priority free agent. Is there enough there to take a look? That's up to the teams that, you know, obviously you're picking. I don't know if the Bills Bills feel that way, but it wouldn't surprise us. We see a third quarterback in here uh, as an undrafted rookie free agent. It's certainly possible. Kevin in Hamburg brought up offensive linemen. He doesn't want one in round one or round two. Guess what? It could happen. And we're going to talk to Greg Cosell next to help us with what the film says on some of the top prospects at tackle, guard, and center when we return for hour number two. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are, hour number two on a Friday, and you know what that means. It's Greg Cosell time, senior producer from NFL Films, also co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. And we are down to the last Friday before the draft. We're getting our last position group in here with Greg before the real deal happens, and it's offensive line. Greg, how you doing? Doing great, Brownie. Steve, how are you guys? We're doing, doing good. Great. We're doing, doing good. good. So uh, we want to kind of nail down some guys that could be there for the Bills, either at the bottom of round one or maybe a little later. 
Um, and we've been focusing on tackle, maybe out of personal preference. <laughs> Start yeah. on the outside, work your way yeah, in. I guess, yeah, ask this. <clears throat> let me ask this as a general question first before we get into these names that we've got listed here. How likely is it that teams go out thinking they could get a tackle, and then if he doesn't work out at tackle, just slide him down to guard? Do you find that to be common or a philosophy of any kind, or do teams now say, "Nah, I like this guy as a guard, we're going to draft him as a guard? Um, you know, I think a lot of that depends on a, on a couple of factors, Steve. I think that arm length is a very important factor when you talk to offensive line coaches. Some more than others, obviously. But I think, like, for instance, Peter Skoransky is a great example of this. His arm length is really, really short for a tackle. So people say, well, he played tackle in the Big Ten for, you know, three years, did a really nice job. So he's a tackle. But I've also talked to offensive line coaches who said, there's no way he's going to play tackle in the National Football League with 32-inch arms. In fact, I spoke to one who said that center would probably be his best position as he transitions to the league. So, you know, I think that that's one thing that is looked at. And then the other thing that's looked at, of course, is feet and range. Range in terms of vertical sets. Because you talk to coaches and what they tell you is it's a third down game. You know, you have to be able to pass protect on third down and you don't want to have to be in a situation as an offense where you keep a tight end in or a back in, even as chippers, because then they're not primary receivers. So what happens at that point is you have to limit your offensive pass game options and your route concepts and combinations. So I think it comes down to the ability to pass protect on third down one on one. So I think those two things really stand out. All right, well, let's begin with a guy that I think as little as a month ago we were thinking would get down to the Bills potentially at pick 27, but he has moved up the board precipitously as draft Knicks have heard more from the people in the know. Darnell Wright from Tennessee, who played right tackle, uh-huh. and, you know, for a 332-pound guy, has some pretty nimble feet. Yeah, I I really, really like this guy. I mean – Um, You know, I don't fancy myself. I try to talk to people, as I just told you, about O-line play. You know, maybe I know more than I think I do, but I never, you know, I I try to keep learning, Brownie, just because it's, you know, it's one of those positions. Most people, as you play it, don't grow up, you know, studying offensive line in great detail. Um, I watched him last summer, and he played left tackle in 2021. And quite frankly, I thought he was bad. Uh, This year at right tackle? I thought he was absolutely outstanding. He's the most powerful offensive tackle in this draft. If one game is representative of what he is, all you have to do is put on the game against Alabama where he just stoned Will Anderson snap after snap after snap. And if you didn't know who Will Anderson was, you'd think he was probably a late round draft choice based on that game. But this guy is massive. He's got good feet. Um, I just think he's a really, really good prospect. I mean, you know, I would bet he'll move up. You know, again, I'm not good with that, Brownie, but he's not going to be late first round, second round. He's going before that. Yeah. Greg, do you have a man crush on Darnell Wright? (laughs) You know, yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) There's always a few players like that, you know, that, uh, that. As I'm watching, you know, I've watched so many. I think I'm up to like 212. So I can't think of every single one. But no, he was. And and you know what made it interesting, Steve, is I started out watching him knowing that I watched him last summer and didn't like him at all. I left tackle. Right. 
And and then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this guy's really good at right. right tackle. I was watching, I was reading up on him too, and I watched a little bit of it. I don't know as much as I watched film, and I also read some evaluations. I mean, the guy gave up like zero sacks at right tackle. He gave up a total of maybe seven sacks his entire career, four of which were at left tackle, like you said. Yeah. Uh, when he yep. got to right tackle, nobody was getting by him. Uh, and also when you watch no. him on film, he's got some grit. I mean, he likes to be uh, like the point of the spear for the team, right? Yeah, no, he's, you know, he's a, a, a ma- mammoth guy with a lot of mass, um, good feet. Um, you know, see, it's funny. It's really interesting, Steve. And like I said, I try to learn from, you know, offensive line coaches and people that know far more than I do about offensive line play. But I thought at left tackle, his feet look slow and plotting. At right tackle, I thought he looked quick. You know, and, and, and again, it's different movements, you know, because you're kick sliding with a different foot. You know, your hand usage is different. You know, it, it, just as an example, I remember watching Penny Sewell as a rookie with the Lions, not this year, but the year before. And he and he moved from left tackle, which he played at Oregon, to right tackle with the Lions. And I thought he was terrible at right tackle. And most people agree. Now, he's gotten used to it. But, you know, there's a whole difference. People just assume that, oh, yeah, you can just switch sides. Just like, as you said, Steve, people assume, oh, if you're a tackle in college, but you don't you don't have great tackle traits, just throw him at guard, no problem at all. doesn't always work that way. Right. All right, so we've got another guy um, from Oklahoma, Anton Harrison. Uh, um, left tackle, but is he a left tackle in the NFL? Um, I mean, I personally think he can play that, and I liked him as well. Um I think that he's got great size. He's got really good arm length. Uh, for whatever it's worth, other than a reflection of athleticism, he ran a great 40 time. Um, he's got, as I said, desired arm length. He's got strong, heavy hands. I thought he had core strength. I thought he had good movement. Um, I think he can play left tackle. You know, I think he possesses that size, length, strength, movement profile that is demanded. And I thought he had heavy hands. So, again, I think he can line up and play left tackle. Now, the question you always have with these guys, Brownie, is can they do that year one? You know, and it depends where you draft a guy, obviously, and it depends on your team's needs. But, you know, if you need a left tackle and your draft, let's say you need a left tackle in your mind and you draft Anton Harrison late in the first round, you'd like him to be your starting left tackle. That's an unknown. That I can't answer. But I think he can play left tackle in the NFL. What about drive blocking for him? Because... I've seen, I mean, some of what I saw and some of what I've read, you know, average hand punch, not driving people off the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and most of the time that that issue stems from um, footwork and balance. I mean, I think there were snaps because I watch an awful lot of him. I think I watched seven or eight games, and then I watched all of Marvin Mims' pass targets, which, of course, give me pass protection as well. Um, so that that combination gave me a lot of snaps of Anton Harrison. Um, so I think, you know, when you talk about that, you know, you want to see core strength. You want to see a guy generate strength and power off the ball. You want to see him continue to stay on balance and move his feet so he doesn't fall off blocks. Um, I would say that a lot of that, based on conversations I had, is coaching and can be taught. Um, so uh, like like everybody, particularly offensive linemen, because of what they face in college and the fact that there's so much spread, they have so much to learn and to be coached up when they get to the league. So I think he's capable of that, Brownie. You know, can he do that from day one? Probably not. 
but I think it's in his body. Okay. We move along too to one guy, Matthew Berger on the offensive tackle from Syracuse. Early uh-huh. on, people just knew that the Bills were going to grab this guy because it's so easy because Syracuse is right down the road. He's right. a big dude. I mean, this is, it's a perfect fit. Uh, what do you think? Now, here's a guy from everybody I've heard that I've spoken to believe is a guard. And again, you know, he played tackle, obviously. Um, you know, he was he had 39 starts, a 31 at left tackle and eight at right tackle. But a lot of people think this guy's a guard because now this guy is a really good run blocker, a really good run blocker. Um, he's got power um, on initial contact. He's got core strength. He controls. He sustains. He runs his feet really well. Um, I think theoretically, could he play tackle? I think he probably could. But the word I get is is clearly that he's a guard. But um, the, the issue with him, I think, at tackle is, is range. And as I mentioned, third down, he's not a rangy guy in pass protection. Um, so he's not as high level an athlete as what you're looking for uh, on, on the left side in particular, just because of the range. Um, and he's had some issues um, like the, the one guy that gave him a ton of trouble this year was Jared Verse from Florida State, who chose not to come out. Uh, most people thought if he came out, he'd be a top 15 pick. But he had big problems with him. But he also had some really, really good one-on-one pass protection snaps against Miles Murphy from Clemson. So, you know, I think that he was an efficient pass protector at tackle, but not a rangy guy. Uh, whereas he's a physical mauling type run blocker. And I think that's the reason a lot of people see him as a guard. Okay. And feet to kind of get out and pull, right? His feet are pretty good. Yeah. Oh, no. He was used a puller both inside and outside. Yeah. And I thought he showed good, good movement in space. And the one thing I look for when I see guys pull is their balance and their body control. Because a lot of guys, as you know, Brownie, they can get out and they can move a little bit. But then when they have to make the block, they're off balance. They fall down. You know, so it's you want to see balance and body control so they can strike with some force. Yeah. Uh, the next guy is a mountain of a human, quite literally, Dewan Jones from Ohio State. <laughs> um, probably going to be a factor in the second round, many people are thinking now. Um, but what can be said about how he carries all that weight? Because 375 pounds, is that's a lot. And the concern is, how does he move with it? Unfortunately, from what I've gathered, he probably carries it a little too well to the dinner line because people have said that he's close to 400 pounds now. People who I know know that and who I respect. That's the concern with him, Brownie. I really liked his tape a lot. I mean, his arm length is 36 and three eighths. His wingspan is like Giannis in the NBA. I mean, it's ridiculous. So you're talking about a guy that is a big, big man that is really, really difficult to get around. And while his feet wouldn't be the lightest of any tackle you've seen, he certainly does not have heavy or plodding feet. Uh, But the problem from what I've been told by people who would know is that the commitment to the game is not exactly what it needs to be. Um, And that's a problem. But if you're just looking at the tape, um, if he was a clean prospect in terms of everything else, Um, You're dealing with a really strong prospect with rare size and length plus athleticism. I mean, you know how hard these guys are to get around? I mean, it's, you know, he doesn't have to have great, great feet, but it's good enough. And he's just so hard to get around. Just for reference, how close would you compare him 
to Accordy Glenn. Oh, God, I remember when he came out. He was Georgia, right? Yeah, second-round pick of the Bills. Long yeah. arms, 36 inches, probably about 335 or so. Um, he this played left bigger. tackle. So, I mean, I don't know. I I'm, I know Cordy wasn't as tall as this guy, but the arm length was the same. Body yeah. type was kind of similar. Yeah, I don't remember Glenn in detail, so it's hard for me to answer that. But, you know – you know, when I think of, let's say, when I think of um, Dewan Jones, I think of the, you know, the Orlando Browns, the the Trent Browns, you know. Okay, uh, much bigger for you know, him. Those are the guys I think are the better comparisons. Is it like, is he, is, did he have as good a tape as, say, a guy like Makai Becton? Oh, probably not quite as good as Becton. You know, Becton had some really good tape coming out. Um, and he was obviously a very big man as well. Hasn't worked out for him, unfortunately. Um but yeah, if you're just looking at tape, I think Jones, my sense is if Jones was a clean prospect off the field, that he would be a top 20 guy. That would be my sense. Okay. Steve, hit him with your favorite guy. Joe Tipman, center guard ah. from Wisconsin. I, I, I picked, he might've been the first name I threw out of this draft at Brownie saying that's our guy. Uh. Did you talk to Leonard about him? He was the DC there, you know? No, I didn't uh, talk to anybody. Talk no. to Jimmy. Yeah. Um, I like Tipman a lot. Uh, I watched his tape. I mean, this guy is a big offensive center, has a great frame. He's athletic. Um, I, I, you know, don't forget that's an offense at Wisconsin. That's old school stuff. I mean, that's, that's right. a heavy emphasis on the zone run game. Um, good amount of pin pull gap scheme is what they do. I mean, this is a running, running offense. This guy's consistently efficient, executing all kinds of blocks. I mean, there were certain blocks without going into the, you know, being nerdy about it, but there are certain blocks that were real specific to, to what they did that he was asked to do. But I mean, I really like this guy. I mean, I thought for a big man, he had outstanding snap to step quickness as a run blocker and in pass protection. He could climb to the second level. He was really good with stunts and games just because he was so long and athletic. Um, I, you know, again, I, 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 I don't want to say I'm an expert on offensive centers, but I, I really like this guy's tape a lot. Yeah, yeah he's a he's a six six guy. And, and yep. carries over 300 pounds. I'm, and, yeah, down inside. Easily, easily. Does not look mad. You know, is, is not a fat-looking guy at right, all. Right, exactly. He's down inside, and, and it was con he does stand. I mean, he's a big tall for a center. You always kind of think of a center as being one yep. of those guys, fire plug guys. This is – he's not that. He's, he's more of an NFL kind of guy, right? Well, it's funny you say that because my favorite center in last year's draft was Fortner out of Kentucky, who played every snap as the starting center for the Jaguars this year and played really well. I actually liked him more than Linderbaum or Cam Jurgens, who the Eagles drafted in the second round. And as I said, Fortner, he was 6'4 out of Kentucky, and he played every snap, had a really solid year, and Tipman's even bigger than that. Right. So, Greg, we've got a little extra time here. You told me you did this guy, so I'll pick your brain a little bit because I really like the tape that he had. Jalen Duncan from Maryland, the offensive tackle, played left tackle there for the Terps. And I don't know, there's just something about the way he moves. I feel like there's uncommon athleticism there for a guy his size because he's a pretty big kid. Yeah, he's almost 6'6", really, really good arm length. Um you know, I think that he has what you want. He's played 
he's a four-year starter at left tackle. I think he has 39 starts in his career. I think he moves well. He's got light feet out of his stance, getting to his set points. Um, I think he tracks well in the run game. You know, what, what I look for with pass protection is the kick slide. Do they bend their knees? Do they play on balance? Are they efficient with their lateral movement? You know, can they redirect? Um, how do they use their hands? Um, you know, you want to see them, you want to see them strike with their hands to the inside, you know, not wrap around because then you let guys get into your chest and that's, you can weigh 400 pounds. And if a guy gets into your chest, you've got a problem. Um, so I really liked his tape. Um, I'm curious to see where he goes. He's kind of been lost in the discussion, Brownie. Right. So I don't know, maybe teams don't see him as highly as I just suggested. Maybe there's other issues involved that I don't know about. I haven't heard his name, but I think the tape's pretty good. Yeah, Jalen Duncan, uh, for me, I, I don't know. I just, I liked a lot of what I saw. I didn't think he, I don't know if he's necessarily put it all together yet. And so maybe that's why he's a little bit below some of the names we hear more often. Um I just think there's a there's an enticing ceiling there based on the athleticism yeah. and some of what we've seen. Yeah, no, as I said, I like his tape. So um, there maybe there's other issues, you know, you know, teams get obviously all this information. Sometimes networks get all this information, you know, as to about a guy's character. I don't get all that stuff. So, you know, I'm just sitting in my office watching the tape, but I think the tape's pretty good. Good stuff, Greg. Appreciate it. What are you going to do? Where, where are you going to watch the draft? Are you going to be on the air working? Or well, he'll be, be helping home? us out on draft night. Yeah, I'm going to help you. No, I'll be, you know, I'll probably be watching uh, at home or in my office. And I remember last year, because I was, you know, waiting for you guys to make your pick in the first round, um, I was just sitting in my office with the TV on here, uh, you know, watching the draft at the same time I was watching more tape. So, but Steve, <laughs> you know me, I'm a little crazy. Or what, I got this for you as well. Uh, last year, they had a ton of movement in the draft in the first yep. round, lots of trade. You, what's your gut tell you about this year? You think there'll be a, as much movement um, with the quarterbacks involved? Yeah, and I think that this is going to be a really interesting draft, Steve, because I would bet, and, and I've had this confirmed by some people, that this could be the kind of draft where, you know, one team could have a player as the 12th best player on their board, and another team could have that same player as the 35th best player on their board. I think there's going to be a lot of that in this draft, and – you know, I think that that leads to teams wanting to trade, whether there's trading partners is always the question, because, you know, every year people say there's going to be a lot of trades. And then sometimes you get through the first round and there's not many at all. Uh, but I think that there's probably if, as you know, teams put grades on, on players, I would bet that no team has more than 17 or 18 first round grades this year on players. But, you know, you have to draft someone. That's the way it is. Yeah. You know, when it's your turn, you got to draft. Greg, we look forward to seeing you on draft night on our live stream. Me and Maddie will catch up with you after the Bills pick. Thanks, Greg. All right, guys, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, that's Greg Cosell, senior producer from NFL Films, also co-host of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. He will be joining me and Maddie on draft night number one when we put our live stream up right after the Bills pick in round one on Thursday night, and then we'll follow that on Friday night as well. We'll pass along more information next week as it gets closer, but a live draft stream on all the Bills' social channels on night one of the draft right after the Bills make their selection, whether they move up, stay where they are, move back. Well, if they move back and out of round one, we won't see you on Thursday night. <laughs> but, if they, but if they stay put or they trade up, uh, we'll be covering it wall-to-wall -wall yeah, on the draft stream. Yeah. You ready to do a broadcast? And no. You can go home. You can go home. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>
It's, it could happen. It, yeah. Could happen. Brandon said it. Just as likely to trade back as trade up. So we'll see. And the and Greg is right on with respect to the variance of opinion on a lot of these prospects this year. The the general response we've heard from people that have to assess the whole draft is that there is a lot of mixed opinion on a lot of prospects. And it's not just because of how they fit that particular team. It's just because maybe it's the type of player that they look for at a given position. And maybe there's a lack of those kinds of players. Like, let's look at receiver. We've talked time and again about how the diminutive stature of a lot of the top players at the receiver position this year has led to a lot of variance of opinion. Right. Some people say, no, that kid's still a first-round pick. I don't care if he's five foot nine; He's still a first-rounder. And there's another team that's like, I am not touching that guy in the first round. I'll wait till day two, and if he's there, so be it. And it's some of that, not just at receiver, but yeah. at a bunch of different positions, yeah. like Matthew Bergeron, who we were just talking about. There's a, there's a healthy number of teams that see him as a guard, and they're not going to draft him in the first round because he's a guard for them. There might be a team that says, he could still play right tackle. Right. I might take him at the bottom of round one. And so now you have that difference of opinion that may prompt a team that's picking at 50 to say, we got to go up to get him. Let's make a trade. Right. And there's also that all the stuff that happens. Like for the Darnell Wright, if he gets drops down, you can play him at tackle. You can try him at right tackle. If he doesn't, you move him down to guard. Or you can take a guy who you know is going to be a guard, like Bergeron from Syracuse. You say, no, that guy is a guard. We're going to take him and plug him right in. We're not going to take a chance on a right tackle and then move him to guard. We're going to take a guard and go. Uh, that kind of philosophy in the draft, can the guy get on the field? Plus, uh, for a team like Buffalo, you might think that Bergeron can actually hit the field running as mm -hmm. a guard day one instead of, you know, Cody Ford in it and try him at tackle, try him at guard, try him back at tackle. Oh, we got an injury. Now he's back at tackle. Now he's on the other side. You know, all, all that stuff. So uh, that philosophy can get you into trouble as well as, you know, and plus it could you – know, the positives outweigh the negatives sometimes. Yeah. Great time versa. for us here, but when we return, we're going right back to the phone calls. John in Buffalo is going to lead us off then. Open line for you at 803-0550. It is an OBL Friday fan mailbag. Get your questions in now here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. OBL Friday Fan Mailbag Day, and we go back to the phones. John in Buffalo has a question for us. What do you got for us, John? Uh, yes, good afternoon. Since it's Ask Anything Friday, when the Bills bring in a free agent or a draft pick to Buffalo, they obviously pay for their tickets to get them here, at least I assume they do. Uh, do they fly in first class? It would look pretty bad if they didn't fly somebody in first class the organization would look pretty cheap and once they get here after they do meetings and so on do they wine and dine everybody i'm, I'm sure odell Beckler would, would get the gm to take him to dinner a six-round draft pick would have to have tasker and escort him i suppose um what are your thoughts on all that do they do they treat them right when they get here and how do they get them here uh, they, uh, yeah it's a good question i couldn't tell you exactly the first part certainly a first round you'd, you'd expect a first round draft they don't bring all these draft picks in all at one now the first round draft pick most Private teams plane. fly them in on the plane on the the owner's plane 
Uh, and the Bills have done that. Yeah, the Bills have done that on a number of occasions. Now, if you're the 27th pick, eh, maybe not. Uh, maybe you just get a first-class pick ticket. No, maybe they, maybe they fly coach. I don't know. Trey but, came in on a private plane. He was the 27th pick. Yeah, uh, they do. They get wine and dine. But the, the lower-round draft picks, they don't even show up until rookie like the camp. next week or the rookie minicamp. And then they'll fly, fly those guys probably coach. I mean, I, Yeah, commercial. Yeah, they just fly them commercial. Uh, I don't know if that, that it would be first class. They might, but free, pre, uh, free agent visits, those are usually arranged by the agent. I want to say, um, yeah, that might be. Yeah, I think that's that might how it be. goes. Uh, I don't know. The Bills will obviously pick him up at the airport and bring him in, but <clears throat> they have a car. Yeah, I have a car for him, and and they'll get him a hotel. I think it varies. Um, yeah, by team, and you know if it's an established free agent. They usually get here, I believe, on their own dime. But I, I'm not 100% sure on that. As far as the draft picks, though, I am sure on that. Let's go to the tweet sheet to get some questions here for the OBL Friday fan mailbag. Jack asks, I think the Bills would prefer Drew Sanders or Trent Simpson over Jack Campbell for the middle of their defense at linebacker. What's your opinion on those two guys? Maybe early in round two, trade back? Uh, I really like Simpson's speed and coverage ability something we know they ask their linebackers to do. I think Simpson is clearly the fastest of these three linebackers on the clock. So you want to do stopwatch speed, Trent Simpson has him beat. He runs a 4-4-3. Sanders runs uh, a 4-5-9. And if I remember right, Jack Campbell runs around a 4-6 as well. Um, so th that's just on the stopwatch. I would argue that Campbell has the best instinct. Sanders is not far behind him. Simpson is the best athlete, but the general consensus on him is he's not as instinctive as the other two players. Simpson. So now the question becomes, yeah. now the question, be and Simpson is the lightest of the three players. He's 6'2", 235. So now the question becomes, he's the shortest and the lightest. The question becomes, what do the Bills prefer? Do they prefer the taller, bigger player who maybe offers better instincts or do they want the shorter faster player who is more of a reactionary player that would be Simpson and maybe doesn't have the same level of instincts I think the reason Tremaine Edmonds was so attractive is he had the size and the length and the athleticism even though coming in the door he didn't have the instincts do they go a different direction now and go with size and athleticism and instincts. You know, I think Campbell might be a, a hair below Sanders in terms of the athleticism. Campbell might make up for some of that because he's probably got the best instincts of those three. I think Sanders is in between. He's got the height, the length, the athleticism you look for. He's got some instincts, even though they might not be as great as Campbell's. The thing you have to remember as well, Tremaine comes in, he's got all these measurables. He's a freakish athlete but he was also a guy that was ready to stand up in the huddle and call plays in an NFL game at 20 years old at tw like 19 when they drafted him he'd stand up and command the, the huddle he had no fear of standing in there and saying hey you do this you do that and to guys who were 28 years old you know and had been in the league for five years he was like that guy I don't know if Jack Campbell's that way or Drew Sanders is that way or uh, this other guy either Simpson um but that's part of the equation there as well. This is the guy that is going to stand in the huddle and everybody's going to look at him and he's going to tell them what to do. <laughs> it's, 
It's not just anybody that can stand in there and do that or has that in them. That's part of the equation as well. So if Drew Sanders comes in and he's telling Sean, looking Sean McDermott in the eye and saying, listen, bro, it's me and nobody else. And if, or if Jack Campbell's that guy saying that, yeah. that goes a long way, I think, for a coach like Sean McDermott. If he's got the right guy, no matter what his measure, not no matter what, but if he's got the measurables and he, and he tells Sean McDermott he's the guy in those ways, that goes as far as any of the tape that he sees, or almost as far. So it's a lot about who this guy is. And I don't know who Jack Campbell or Drew Sanders is. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. But I can watch him on tape, and they're both really good players. And as I've said the last few weeks, I believe Sanders is going to be ranked higher on most teams' boards He's because versatile. I see him as a two-position player. Right. He can play off the ball middle linebacker for you and run your defense. And then you get into third and 12, and if you have a backup sub-package linebacker, if you will, that you can drop in the middle linebacker spot to play coverage. You put Drew Sanders up on the edge, and he'll go rush the passer because he was very effective in that at Arkansas. And I don't know I don't know if because he's such a good pass rusher, he can actually drop into coverages effectively if you do leave him in at middle linebacker. He can do some of that, yes. Uh, Campbell does that. In fact, some people tell you Campbell's really good at it because he's smart and his eyes are in the right spot, that kind of thing. Um, Simpson, I don't know about. Um I shy away from guys playing inside the box in the NFL who weigh less than 250 pounds. I shy away from guys like that because they're going to get folded up like a pretzel. Um, you, you look at Simpson, and he almost looks like a big safety. Um, well, it's like M- Milano's been able to do it, but he's you know, he's a special cat. Plus, he's, two th- he's 235, which is a little bigger. Um I don't know. You can't have, you know, you can't have too many Matt Milano's running out there, I guess, but you can have guys who look like Matt Milano and play like Well, he plays a physical brand right. of football too. You could I just you know what I'm saying. I yeah. think you start to go lighter and lighter and lighter and faster and faster and pretty soon you got you, 19, run over. you got 19 guys on IR and you're getting steamrolled. Let's go back to the phones. We go to Jack in Cheektawaga. What do you got for us, Jack? Hi guys. I think that the Bills fans can watch the draft next Thursday and know what's going to happen based on the number of quarterbacks that are taken before the Bills pick at 27. Now, if there's a run like they're talking about now and four quarterbacks are gone in the first four picks, it's highly unlikely that that fifth quarterback is is not going to be taken before the Bills draft. If he's not, you know, then I think – there's the possibility that with five quarterbacks gone, that somebody with a first-round value that the Bills liked but didn't think was going to be available might come to them in 27, and they could pull the trigger there. The problem is, if you're looking for a starting middle linebacker, those guys may not have that 27 value, and maybe you trade out and you get an early second-round pick to go after a guy like that because I think two of your better tight ends are going to be gone before the Bills pick. So if you're looking to add that position, you know, if you're looking at Washington or Musgrave, now the Bills have to go back to the value table and say, you know, who do we think is most valuable with either 27 or an acquired early second pick or that, that later, what is it? 59 pick uh, later on in the, uh, you know, in the second round. And uh, it's going to be very interesting 
what Brandon is going to do in the circumstance. Yeah, Thanks, Jack, guys. you're right. Uh, you're right, Jack. But I don't. I don't. I think it's going to take more than either the difference between either four quarterbacks and five quarterbacks to push a guy down. I think. From what we are hearing, a lot of teams are saying there's like 20 or just around 20 guys in this draft that have first-round picks. And you always expect one or two quarterbacks to go, although last year was an exception. But they're planning on – because a couple of these – there's at least three of these quarterbacks that do have first-round grades on them. So you expect those to go. And two guys isn't going to get you from two, 20 to 27 picks. So that the 27th guy available – you know, at the 27th pick, there's not going to be the 20th best guy available. I think it's going to take more than just five quarterbacks to get to that value. Right. And if you want to go really in-depth on this subject in terms of what will fall to the Bills, you should check out our podcast, Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel, because Steve and I slice this 100 ways down to pick 27, because as Steve said, it is more than just about where the quarterbacks go. It's about how many edge rushers are getting picked before the Bills pick at 27. It's how many offensive tackles are picked before the Bills go at 27. And then there has to be an even fourth position group we decided on the podcast. So if you want to hear us map all that out for you, you can go on your any podcast platform that you use and just type in Bills by the Numbers and our podcast will come up for you because we diced it all up and we went position by position and how many at each position could fall about, in front of Buffalo at 27. We got to about 20 at the max, 21, 22 guys. And then, yeah, I, don't, I, I think there's going to be some movement at the end of round one, teams jumping back in and teams jumping out. Yep. And whether the Bills decide to jump up because there's only one or two guys left, as was the case last year with Kyrie Elam, and they went up two spots to get him, or whether they say, let's just get out of here and get some value in round two, that's the, that is the $64 million question. There you go. We have to take a break here. A couple final thoughts and questions from the OBL Friday fan mailbag on the tweet sheet when we return. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, back here for one last segment on One Bills Live on a Friday, OBL Friday fan mailbag open. And the first, the next question, I should say, that we have to get to comes from Bills News Consolidated. How do you decipher football IQ from instincts? I don't know that you need to separate them necessarily. Both are considered advantageous if you have them. And I think it's just, I think there's, there's a general understanding of schematics, angles, and being able to decipher little tells within the opponent's scheme that allow you to anticipate what yeah. is coming and react accordingly before it even unfolds and happens. Right. You get a guy like um, um, you know Luke Keekley who had a had both had huge. Uh, um, IQ. The IQ is more like what you get is a, is a level of knowledge that you have about what about your opponent and about schemes that you're going to face and schemes that you run. You know where your defense is vulnerable. You know where they're probably going to attack. You know where the off, what their offense does well and what they're going to do and what they do well out of certain formations. This is all football IQ stuff that you know about schemes, about tactics, about what they're trying to do and when you see something. Now, when you see something happen after the snap, instinct is when you react 
and you're kind of a half step ahead of it because your instincts tell you exactly what's happening rather than having to figure it out and watch what's going on. You don't have to see everybody to know. You see a couple of guys, you read your keys, and you instinctively know they're trying to run a certain type of play against you, and you run to the point even if the ball's not there yet. Those are instincts. Football IQ is understanding concept, to me, is understanding concepts and tactics to such an extent is that you know situational football. You, you have narrowed the menu that what you're, of what you're looking for pre-snap. Uh, that goes offensive and defensive. Yep. Uh, that's, that's football IQ. You know the game and the X's and O's and the tactics involved, where the defense is vulnerable, where your offense is capable, and out of what formations you're capable of doing something. Um, that's IQ. Instinct is see it, run to it, and make the play yeah. um, before anybody else and react, react quicker because you – kind of you're mentally you understand what's going on so they're they are linked no question but yeah. instincts can get you a long way and so can football iq tad asks on the uh mailbag with mcdermott calling the defense now what areas do you see improving in this defense based on his carolina years quick answer sacks and takeaways when mcdermott was calling the carolina defense more often than not in those six years they were at the top of the league or in the top three in sacks and takeaways? I think you can expect that with McDermott calling the yeah. defense this year. He's aggressive. Yeah. That's it. That's it for us this week. We'll see you on Draft Week Monday at 1. <laughs> <laughs>